Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 216. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor-neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, uh, I just wanted to mention that our second site graph.nerd-journey.com is now live. That's the knowledge graph and link notes version of our main pages show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, our guests, and topics if you want to find that topic discussed in another episode, for example. Today's the first part of our interview with Kristen Carter, if I remember correctly. That's right. Kristen is a coach and the host of the I Have ADHD podcast. This ought to be a good one because we've had some people who have talked about ADHD on the show, but Kristen has a podcast about it and a coaching business centered on helping people with ADHD. Yeah, really cool. You know, personally relevant for me as someone with a diagnosis, I think the first thing that kind of stuck out to me was just this like idea of recognizing ADHD and uh, ignoring a recommendation to get tested. I guess we should say uh, ADHD is attention deficit disorder and hyperactivity disorder, which is a mouthful. So people just say ADHD along with uh, family patterns of ADHD, like having it, you know, being something that's potentially genetically linked. So I think that those two things were really interesting to me as somebody who went through very similar things. Definitely something to listen out for. Yeah, I would say that processing of that of the diagnosis. I can tell you that I have a child with dyslexia. She was diagnosed with dyslexia, and processing that diagnosis for her was not what I thought it might be, and I think it's still going on. So sure. there is some processing that has to happen when someone gets a diagnosis, the things they feel and need to sort out as a result of seeking that diagnosis. That was very interesting to me. Yeah. And very parallel to what I'm seeing in my own child. Sure, sure. The other thing that kind of jumped out at at me that I would recommend listening for was the phrase, pills don't teach skills. I found that hilarious when I uh, first heard that. Definitely, definitely listen out. There's some good stories that Kristen shares about that are personal experiences of hers that I think we can learn from in how to support others with ADHD and just be a little more empathetic to that in the people we know, family, friends, colleagues. And I I think you're going to hear something interesting about how Kristen learned to be a business owner and became accountable for the culture of that business. That was one of the phrases she used that I really think you'll enjoy learning more about. Yeah, totally agree. But instead of talking more about what we found interesting, why don't we dive into part one of our discussion with Kristen Carter 
which is episode number 216. Kristen Carter, welcome to Nerd Journey. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today, please? Absolutely. So my name is Kristen Carter, and I am a complete ADHD nerd. I am obsessed with ADHD and how it impacts adults. And so I've been studying ADHD for about 10 years. And for the last four years, I've been working exclusively with adults with ADHD. So I do that in a couple ways. I have a podcast uh, that I record weekly. And then also I have a pretty large coaching program where I support adults with ADHD around the world. And that is the joy of my life. Yes, you are a busy entrepreneur for sure. Yeah, I am. But no one comes out of the womb that way as a coach. So let's go back to the early days, if you don't mind sharing some of that story. Sure. I, I remember reading some of it on your website. I have ADHD.com, I believe it is. And you were talking about in school, you struggled a little bit. Did you have any ambitions of things you wanted to study in those days? Yeah, school was very difficult for me because I was a smart kid who just never could live up to her potential. And I think that's pretty much a hallmark trait of those of us with ADHD. And so I really had a hard time thinking about the future, which is also something that ADHDers struggle with across the board. So we have a difficult time with nonverbal working memory, which is the mind's eye. So the ability to picture the future and what it might be like is a very deficient executive function. And I really struggled to create a picture of what I wanted to do. So I went to the college that my dad went to and my grandma went to as kind of just like, well, I guess this is just what we do. And I studied music because it was something I was good at. I started off by studying music education. Did I ever picture myself teaching in a classroom? No. Did I ever visit? a music classroom outside of the one that I attended? No. Uh, I, I struggled to really just imagine myself doing anything, but I knew it was good at music. And I knew that, you know, generations of my family have gone to this college. So it kind of, that's just what I did. I ended up ending with a vocal performance degree, which, you know, like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> well, it's experience. We've talked to a lot of guests who didn't quite know what they wanted to do, and they went towards something interesting. But for someone like yourself who had some struggles during that time, I imagine this probably built the self-esteem up a bit, right? You would think, uh, having not studied music, you would think that that would do that. But no, having to perform in front of critical people constantly mm -hmm. actually, I think, wrecked my self-esteem in a lot of ways because you're always getting negative feedback about what to improve. And unless you are the star of the music program, which I wasn't, I was just a very average, competent um, singer, it was a constant need to prove myself. But I will say that what it helped me to do was start my entrepreneurial journey. So I knew coming out of college that I wanted to teach voice and piano lessons. And so that is what helped me 
lay the foundation of entrepreneurship and helping people one-on-one and teaching people how to get from point A to point B. So it was very important in my journey to kind of start there and take something that I was really good at and mix it with one of the gifts that I didn't know that I had, which was teaching, communicating, encouraging, and helping people to realize who they wanted to be. Oh, wow. And did a specific set of friends or professors help bring this to fruition throughout your journey, the the desire of, I kind of know that I want to go and teach? In college, I was working one-on-one with students in a tutoring capacity. So I knew that I was good at that. And then I built up the music skills and I knew I was good at that. And so I just kind of put the two together and created my own business in that way, which looking back, I don't know how the 23-year-old version of me did that because she was very low functioning. That version of me, she was very, very low functioning. And I came out of college depressed, a little bit traumatized from the program, having just planned a wedding. And that was not a fun experience as someone with ADHD who has parents with ADHD. So I came out of college very low functioning. I watched a lot of daytime TV, but I still was able to get a couple students and then I was really, I'm really good at teaching and, and encouraging and I'm good at music. So, you know, my, my students loved me and word kind of spread and organically. Yeah. I, I had a, a music studio that I was seeing 25 students a week. Oh, wow. Within a, within a year or two. Yeah. I want to go back to your mention that your parents had ADHD. Did they, number one, did they know they had ADHD around the time? you figured out that you did? So my dad was diagnosed with ADHD in his 40s. And at the time, I was in high school. And he started to nag me. It's the best word possible. He just started to nag me and saying, like, I see this in you too. But at the time, I was like 16 years old, and nothing your dad says is correct when you're 16 years old. So I was like, whatever, dad, leave me alone, dad. And it wasn't until I was in school, college, um, getting A's and F's, right? Nothing in between. Big spectrum. Big spectrum. Struggling with binge eating struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety, struggling with um, maintaining life, that I finally called my mom and I was like, okay, I'm finally ready to like see if this is a thing for me. Um, and so, yeah, I was diagnosed right away, medicated right away. It was so helpful, so incredible. I like to joke that like my f- grades went on the fridge for the first time ever and it was my own fridge. <laughs> In my own college apartment, but still it was, it was huge to see across the board, like A's and a couple B's, but like not that like, oh, that one D, you know, or that one C that I, I always had that one or a couple like really low grades in classes that I hated, that I didn't care about, that I just could not keep up with. And so the gap was being closed and that was really 
validating and just helpful to me, confidence boosting, I guess. So that was great. It it sounds like your mom, because of the experience with your dad, knew who to Mm -hmm. contact and Mm -hmm. reach out to to get you the help that you needed. What what do people do that don't know what to do with all that information? Yeah, it's such an interesting journey. It really depends on the family, their own level of cognitive functioning. You know, as a parent, if you have a child with ADHD, it's very likely that you or your partner have ADHD. And so it can be really hard for you personally to have the capacity to figure out what to do because you may also have undiagnosed ADHD, right? And so there's so much executive functioning, which ADHD impacts, executive functioning involved with just figuring out what to do. You have to do some Googling. You have to make some phone calls. You have to, like, all of that is just like very difficult for those with ADHD. So, um, luckily there's so much information out there right now on ADHD. It's very trendy. I'm trying not to be annoyed that it's trendy. It's far, far, far trendy. And on one hand, it's, that's so great because so many people who would not have known they have ADHD are l- looking at TikToks and being like, wait a second, this is, this sounds like me. And so that's really, really good. On the other hand, it, I mean, I could talk for hours about like how it may be also a little bit det- detrimental that it's trendy. But so I think that the availability of information right now is a huge win. And so most people, you know, if you're a parent and you suspect your child has ADHD, a great place to start is with your child's pediatrician. If your child's pediatrician kind of dismisses it, another great place to to go to is your child's teacher. If they dismiss it, uh, you stick with your gut instincts because as the parent, you know your kiddo best. And so then I would look for a psychologist who does independent educational evaluations. If you're an adult who has, you suspect that you have ADHD, starting with your family doc is a great place to go. But if you have a good job and a good life and a good family, they will probably dismiss it. If you're a person of color, they will likely dismiss it. If you are a woman, they will likely dismiss it. So it's really important that you do some research on your own. A great book, at least the first half of the book, a great book is Taking Charge of Adult ADHD where Dr. Russell Barkley really walks you through uh, diagnostic criteria, what to say to your doctor, how to talk to someone. And then he has like a list of symptoms, but then not only that, a list of like characteristics, like things that you could, like if you have ADHD, you likely struggle with this. And I think there's like hundreds of them in the back of his book. I spent an afternoon one time going through and circling every single one and I coded it. I was like, this is what I struggled with like in childhood. And this is what I struggled with, you know, five years ago. And this is what I struggle with now. Like it's so helpful to be able to see that. But going into your doctor's appointment with some information at hand can be very helpful. I have a list of symptoms that I compiled from Dr. Barkley, Dr. Tuckman, Dr. Ramsey, like a, a bunch of the big names um, in ADHD psychology on my website. We could link that if you want to. Absolutely. We'll put yeah, it in the show Yeah. And notes. it has like diagnostic criteria, but then it also has like, you may struggle with impulsivity. Okay. This is what that means. 
You make rash decisions. You jump to conclusions. You're really impatient. You hate waiting in line. Like those kinds of things, like how it actually plays out in your life can be really helpful to see written out because you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I do struggle with that. Or no, I don't struggle with that. That is super helpful. And it, it jives with, uh, we had a guest on named John Tolls. He's a technologist and he was sharing about his ADHD diagnosis and journey. It's kind of a late diagnosis for him, even though it was tested as a kid, given medication. So it was, it was challenging, but he's, he's become quite the advocate for AD, people with ADHD and not afraid to share that with people much like you do. That's amazing. I'm curious, Kristen, you mentioned that your, your diagnosis was was validating. It definitely helped you understand, okay, I'm going through something. This helps me understand what it is. What's the spectrum of reactions from people young and old when they once they get the diagnosis? I imagine not everybody says, oh, yes, now I know what to do or I understand myself. Yeah, for me personally, it was so validating because all of the things that I hated about myself, I was able to look at and say like, oh, the reason why this is so hard is because of ADHD. So that was really helpful. What I notice as I coach clients, all different ages, races, all over the world, is that a lot of people experience that diagnosis with grief. If I had only known sooner, if I had only figured this out earlier, why didn't anybody pursue this? Why didn't my parents or my teachers notice? Why Why has it taken until my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s to be diagnosed? Yes, I have clients who have been diagnosed in their 70s, joined my coaching wow. program looking for support. And it's it's incredible. First of all, it's so encouraging for me as someone in her 40s who's like, yeah, like you can still be killing it in your 70s, you know? But also imagine getting a diagnosis and going through all of the different memories of the jobs you lost, the relationships that were severed, maybe divorce, maybe maybe tens of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, like all of that related to a diagnosis that if you had been diagnosed sooner, maybe those things wouldn't have happened. And so a lot of my work when people come into the program is just helping them process whatever it is that comes up for them. And we talk about how no matter what you're experiencing, it's perfect. It's the right thing, right? So if if I experience validation and relief, perfect. If someone else experiences grief and regret, perfect. Like we all get to have our different reaction and our different experience. The point though is to honor whatever it is that's coming up for us so that we can kind of move forward. Because if we're tethered to regret and grief, anger and maybe resentment, it's going to be really hard to move forward and make changes. So before we move forward and make changes, we've got to spend some time honoring and healing from that grief and regret and resentment. Why didn't my teacher, when I was getting an F in this class and an A in this class, why didn't they see it, right? So right. there's there could be some anger there, and that's totally valid. Now that you said it, I can totally see how someone – could get to this point, get the information, and then look at all their losses. Yes. Like you said, like a loss inventory yes. instead of you have some achievement that you accomplish and then you look at your wins, which you have to 
help remind people with anxiety, for example, right. of the things that they did well, the things right. they've accomplished. Were there strategies that you were able to put into place in your college days or a little bit after, shortly after the diagnosis that helped you function a little bit better? Because I remember reading that you got the medication but found that it wasn't quite exactly what you needed. I don't even really remember college, so I'm trying to go back and remember. When I was medicated, it was very, very helpful, but pills don't teach skills. And I grew up in a very chaotic family and a very ADHD family and other things as well. And so I was never taught how to arrive somewhere on time. I was never taught how to gather everything I needed before I left the house. I was never taught how to keep a planner. I was never taught. So like basic skills and the argument could be made that like I probably was taught and like didn't do it, which like if my mother is listening to this, like mom, okay, you probably did try to teach me, but I, I didn't have those skills. So actually that help came when I married a very neurotypical, gentle, safe man. And he taught me how to always put my keys in the same spot when I got home. I didn't know that was a thing. Do you know that's a thing that people do? They get home and they put their keys in the same spot every time they walk in the door. I didn't know that. So I was constantly losing very basic things. I was constantly running around like, where is this? Just never feeling like I was prepared, never able to walk out the door at the right time. Like all of that was taught to me by my husband. God bless him. What a guy. Yes, for sure. <laughs> what a guy. Sounds like a great dude. Yeah. Um, he's got it pretty good too because I'm a catch. But like really those first couple years were him helping me to regulate my nervous system and just teaching me very basic things like no, like we actually have to account for, we can't arrive at church at 9 a.m. We have, you have to like walk in the door. Like I would not process that information if that makes sense to you. So I would get to my mm -hmm. location at the t starting time. Like he's the one that taught me like, no, you get there 10 minutes before the starting time. And I would be like, what? Are you serious? Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yep. So learning those very basic skills, that was taught to me by my husband. And then years later, when I finally found coaching, that's when I was able to take ownership of my own thoughts and emotions and begin to set goals and make changes. And that that changed everything. That in combination with medication has allowed me to evolve into a fully formed adult, finally right? Into someone who can set goals and reach them, into someone who can prioritize and plan and know what's important and do the things, spend my time on things that I know are important rather than dividing my time amongst a million things and always running around like a chicken with its head cut off, not really being present anywhere. So coaching is what really got me um, to that next level. Now, did your husband... Was he familiar with the ADHD literature? Did he have some specialization? No. Or did he just kind of figure it out? 
He didn't even, neither of us attributed this stuff to ADHD. I knew so little about ADHD that this was just like, oh, this was my personality. I'm just like a fun, carefree, like I'm trying to channel my 23-year-old self. So I graduated from college. It was a five-year program. I graduated in May, got married in August, like boom, right? And so I was a, I was a baby, 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 baby. And the ADHD brain is about 30% behind developmentally. So it takes ADHDers about into their 30s before they are really functioning at the same level as everyone else. So it's the frontal lobe that ADHD affects. And so that's your adulting zone, really, right? It's like all of the things that allow you to make wise decisions and plan and prioritize and and set goals and achieve them. Like that whole area of the brain is deficient and it's behind about 30%, which just means like, yes, I was 23, but I was kind of functioning at the age of like 16, 17. Right. And, and that really, I mean, I was a lot of fun and I was super cute, but I was really functioning at a very low level. So he, we just thought it was like, this is my personality. And uh, that's not actually true. Cause my personality, like now that I'm the real me, I am still fun, but not as fun. <laughs> I like to be places on time. I like to get things done. I like things to be in order. But my nervous system was so built for chaos at the time that I just didn't. That's like a trauma thing, but I just, I just didn't know. So he just helped me to regulate and to like, he taught me how to clean. He taught me how to like, no, after dinner, you just do the dishes. You just, you just like get up and do them right away. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, we, We'll do them in the morning, right? And he, so like those very basic functioning things, he just like taught me how to do. And then later on when I was researching ADHD um, in my early 30s, I learned, oh, this isn't my personality. These are all symptoms of ADHD. But nobody ever told me that. I didn't know that. There's no pamphlet that they give you when you're diagnosed with ADHD. There's just like, okay, you have ADHD. And you're just like, okay. Most people don't talk about it very much. Most clinicians don't even know much about ADHD. Most clinicians have like one class of one course on ADHD, right? So it's, there's like a page in the, in the textbook on ADHD. It's not something that people know much about. And so as someone who was just diagnosed and handed a stimulant medication, I was very grateful, but I didn't know that it affected so many areas of my life. I like to say from the boardroom to the bedroom. It affects every area of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom, and everywhere in between. ADHD permeates every area. And so I wish that clinicians told every single patient diagnosed with ADHD that info, but I don't think most of them know it themselves. Yeah, it's probably like the general practitioner doctor you you go to see, primary care physician, they may not have been specializing in nutrition. Yeah. So if you want to get super healthy, they can provide some guidance, but only so much. Absolutely. We'll have to make sure and link to those episodes you recorded with your husband and him sharing your experience because I listened to those and those are really good. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure and put those in the show notes. That's great. Did those traits of ADHD that you didn't recognize, the, the getting places a little bit later than you should have, 
did that come out in your tutoring practice with your students or were you able to to have that completely in line? That's a great question. Now I have to go back and visit that time in my life. Let me see. I, for the most part, am very conscious about work. And so I really worked hard to arrive on time, to have it together. And I, by that time, I knew myself pretty well. And I knew that I would have to work pretty hard to get places on time. And work is the one place where like nine times out of 10, I would arrive on time, even as a college kid. There's this um almost like a hierarchy in my brain. Like I'm going to get to work on time, but I'll never be to church on time. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. If someone is paying me to show up, so like if I have a, a focused call, focus is my coaching program and 80 members are joining this call and I'm, I'm on, I'm going to be there on time. But if I'm paying the person to show up on time, I'm always late. So if I, if I have a meeting with my assistant or my team, I'm, I'm notoriously late. So my brain will do this thing where it's like, it knows what's important and it will only consent to arriving on time for things that are in that like top tier bracket. And then in the lower tiers, it's just like, eh, I don't really care. And I actually embrace that. Yeah. It's like the capacity is full. Exactly. Yeah. And I, right now, I don't know, in 10 years, I may think differently, but right now I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. My team loves me. They get paid whether I'm there or not. If I'm a little bit late, no problem. But going back to your question with my tutoring business, I, I felt like I had a lot to prove with that business. Uh, it was a brick and mortar business, meaning like in my town, online businesses weren't really a thing, um, at least not for this kind of industry. And so I felt like I had a lot to prove. And so I would always get very fancy. I mean, like blazer and like very fancy. I would look very fancy. I would arrive on time. We had a beautiful building. Like I just, I felt like I really needed to prove myself. And I think I did. I, I, I'm grateful for that season of my life because it really showed me that I could start something from the ground up and run a successful company. Yeah, it was really good. Did you take any classes on entrepreneurship or business administration before you this? You would think. You mentioned music education. I, I'm just asking. <laughs> not a, not meant to make anybody look I know. Bad. You would think that that would be something that I would do, but no, I didn't. I didn't take one class. I learned by doing. It's a great way to do it. You know, every time I faced a problem or kind of hit a wall, so to speak, I would just solve that problem. I would get what I needed, figure out what I needed to solve that problem. I'm grateful for that time because it did teach me how to lead a team. By the time that I left, I had six or seven part-time employees and I was, I was leading a team of people. But no, I didn't have any classes. Now looking back, I'm like, is that awesome or is that like weird. I think for me personally, at the time, it was totally the right thing because I just kind of plowed ahead and every obstacle that I reached, I was like, how can I solve this problem? So where can I go to get help or information or, and it really, yeah, it worked for me. Do you think that when that call where you asked your mom for help, being able to do that, getting the diagnosis, 
Do you think that made it easier for you to ask for help when you were starting a business? Or do you think it would have been the same? You know, there's this Sullivan family characteristic. So like I'm, yes, I'm Kristen Carter, but my maiden name is Sullivan. There's a Sullivan characteristic of like, how hard can it be? I could figure it out. Okay. How hard can it be? And so, and I've really tried to do some work in like tempering that because I, now I'm like, I want to learn everything there is to know about life coaching. I want, I want to take all of the courses. I want to get all of the certifications. I've really flipped that. But at the time, and I think this is an ADHD characteristic as well. So what was kind of passed down to me was like, you're smart. Figure it out. How hard can it be? So that's really, yeah, like what I took in. So I didn't even consider asking for help, which is very, what's the word? Maybe a little egotistical. Yeah. I think, I think my okay. ego at the time was like, how hard could it be? It's fine. I'll figure it out. So like I had an accountant and I had a lawyer and I had, I had people, I always hired people who were smarter than me. So I hired people with psychology degrees, education degrees. Like I always surrounded myself with people who were way smarter than me. But I also had the attitude of like, I'm smart. I can figure it out. It's really helped me a lot. It only bites me in the butt once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a fine balance, too, because you need confidence to be able to go and do those challenging things. But I like the humility of knowing I need a lawyer. I need an accountant to help me on this. I know I can figure it out, but maybe not without these right. pieces. So it's not its not just a blind yeah. hope. Hey, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow totally. and start a, start a business. And I haven't done any research. Totally. So. Totally agree. Yeah. I've always been really good about surrounding myself with people who know more than me. That's a very strong value of mine because I know that I am, I have a good sense and that I can get a lot done, but I always want to be surrounded with people who are experts and who make up for my weaknesses because I, I know where my weaknesses are and I'm not ashamed of that. I just solve for it by surrounding myself with people who uh, make up for that. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want their weaknesses pointed out they want to be the smartest in the room and don't want to put themselves in that uncomfortable spot yeah i will say that is one of my strengths is um i'm very in tune with who i am and where i'm weak and i'm not ashamed of it i know a lot of people are i coach so many people who are ashamed of their weaknesses i i look at it very logically where it's just like i have some really amazing strengths and some very stark, obvious weaknesses. And I'm both like, that's what makes me a human. And so if we can just hold these weaknesses and like, be like, okay, here are the places that you're weak. How do we solve for that? That's what's helped me to grow such a successful company. So I was just on a call with my team before this. And like, I tell them, I don't want to schedule the calls for March. I hate doing it. I don't want to do it. Okay, and I'm just like, I'm bad at this. I don't like it. I'm kind of a brat about it. Like if you could see my face right now, I'm just like, I don't want to do it. And so I say like, I'm going to put it on my calendar for today, but if it's, if it's not done by tomorrow, please reach back out to me. Like I need someone to nag me about this because obviously it needs to be done, but I don't want to do it, but I know that I don't want to do it. So I'm just going to pay people to hold me accountable. It's no problem. There you go. 
how accountable do you feel when you have to go and apply for a small business loan on a on a brick and mortar <laughs> property? I imagine the stress of that is pretty intense. Yeah, luckily we were profitable enough to be able to rent without a loan, but I will tell you that when I got the lease for that space, I was so insecure and nervous, so insecure and nervous. And I looked over it with my lawyer, with my realtor, with my accountant. I made everybody read it because I was so insecure. It was a three-year lease or it was either a two or a three-year lease. And I just remember being like, how am I going to commit to this? And as an adult with ADHD, Committing to the future that you can barely picture is very difficult, right? I can't really, I don't have a beautiful vision for that future, but I'm going to make a two-year commitment to it, question mark. Really? Is that really what we're asking ourselves to do right now? So that uh, was a very interesting experience. I did go through it, yeah, with with all of the people in my life that I considered to be the experts in the field because I was very, very scared of signing that lease. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) That sounds scary for sure. Well, and that's not the only scary thing. You had to learn how to hire the right talent of people to work with you as this. I mean, sure, you have accountants, lawyers, other counsel, but these are direct employees report to you in the, in a management chain. You're responsible for hiring and firing. What were some of the fastest skills you found yourself learning once you realized you had to manage people? Oh, that is such a good question. I don't know if this was the fastest skill, but I think it's the most important skill that I developed, which is direct, assertive communication and immediate feedback. Like giving someone feedback in real time, not waiting until it became this like festering thing that you were so resentful about. I learned that and implemented that pretty much right away where something would happen. I would give direct immediate feedback because keep in mind, these are people working with children, right? Um, children and teens. And so the way that they spoke to the kids, interacted with the kids, they had, they really, I knew the culture that I wanted to create. I knew that People loved working with me because I was kind and encouraging, but also firm. And I would push people to their limits in, in a really safe way. And so I wanted to teach my employees to do the same thing. But it turns out that that is more of an art than it is a science. So I, I tried to teach it, but ended up figuring out how to hire for it instead. Does that make sense? So rather okay. than hiring like mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. nice person with an education degree who I'm like, oh, I could teach them how to do this. Instead, I hired more like coachy personalities who really had that like encouraging but firm firmness about them. And so that that was helpful. I think hiring and firing is something that I learned and uh, hated. I still hate it. But it's not fun. Yeah. But learning how to fire people quickly and not let things go on really helped me to create a a healthy culture, a healthy business, not letting things continue. But like if they're consistently not meeting goals, then it's like, this is just not a good fit. So that was something 
yeah, when you when you make your first hire, when you interview people for the first time, like those are on that's on the job training. You can read about it in a book, but really just doing it and figuring out as you're going has been the way that I learn best in every aspect of my life. So that includes like how to hire, how to fire, how to give someone feedback in a in a um, review, how to make sure that you're paying well enough that people really feel valued. That was something really important to me as well. So those kinds of things, it's it's been really like, as I look back, like I'm like, yeah, I did, man, I did learn a lot. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you did. That's a that's a lot to learn. I liked what you said about working to hire people that were a culture fit yeah. with what you wanted to create in your business and teach them the rest. Yeah. Because that if they're not a culture fit, you can't you can't force it really. Yeah, that's so interesting to think through because I think that as we are building companies and there's a hole that we need to fill, there can be this urgency or desperation to fill the hole. We just got to get somebody in. We just need a like a warm body <laughs> who's here who can do the work. And a mistake that I made a couple times was hiring too fast just to like fill the, the gap and right. realizing like, Oh, this was not, this was not smart. In the long run, it is never actually easier to just have a quick fix to the problem. Waiting to find that good culture fit is in the long run what serves the whole company so much better. And I mean, thinking about when I, when I closed, actually sold the business, but it like I like closed out my end and then sold it and the team that I had when I left, like cream of the crop, we nailed it, right? Like we, like I, I feel like I really got there and was like, yes, this is it. They were reliable. They were kind. They were amazing with the students and they, they really got the job done in a beautiful way. So that like being able to reflect on that is really encouraging. Like we had a great team and they were all so sad. I hated those conversations. I can still picture myself calling each one and saying like, I've decided to go all in on coaching and I'm going to be transitioning out of beyond tutoring and in the next six months, blah, blah, blah. And all of them were like, no, no, I love working for you. I love this company. Like, I'm so sad. And so that was nice to hear, but also like very, very sad. But yeah, we had a great, great culture by the time it was ready to close. <laughs> And how many employees did you build up to there when you were ready to close? We had, I can't remember if it was six or seven. I think we had seven part-time. Nobody was working full-time, including myself. I wasn't working full-time either. So we had seven part-time employees and it was great. A great little location. Like it, it was lovely. And that's why it was so hard to close. So hard. It's so hard to, to end something that's working to do something that you think might be a better fit for you, but you're not sure because who knows, right? So that part's really interesting. Some of it's loss aversion. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to let this go. And I was curious if if the ADHD brain views that differently, the transition to something else versus neurotypical. Any comment on that one? That's interesting. I, I thought I had 
read or heard that ADHDers, and correct me if I'm wrong, can start something for a while, drop it for six months, and then tomorrow they decide they pick it up and it's like they never stopped. Yeah. We definitely really love novelty, the new. There's so much dopamine involved with starting something new, which actually held me back from starting the new thing because I was like, I don't want this to just be an ADHD decision. I want to make sure that this is like well thought out, logical, that it's sensible. I don't want this to be a whim. But yes, we are really good. We're great problem solvers. We're great at getting things started. We struggle to maintain. So if I could just go and start a bunch of things, which is what a lot of ADHDers want to do, right? Start, 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 start. The maintenance and the finishing and the seeing it through the long term, that's where we really, really struggle. We're really good at starting. The, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's hard for us to follow through. Okay. I want to go back just a couple of steps before we go forward. Sure. When you started the tutoring business and began to hire people, were you sort of a player coach and still tutoring students and eventually petered out to full-on business manager? I'm not necessarily working with students. Great question. So right around when I was pregnant with my third kiddo is when I realized this isn't sustainable for me to be the one working with students. So I also had other people working with students. It wasn't just me, but I still was heavily involved with student sessions. I knew that if I was going to be a mom of three boys and have this business that was sustainable, paying our bills, I'm married to a pastor. So, you know, the onus of like carrying the weight of the financial stability, I felt that very heavily. And so growing our financial future was on me. That's, that was my thought. That could be debated, but that was my thought. Like if, if we're going to grow, that's on me. And I, I knew it wasn't sustainable with me seeing students. So I decided to kind of work my way out of seeing students and just transition into like the more of a CEO role, managing, marketing, making sure that we had a high demand for our services and the hiring, firing, leading of the team. So I really transitioned in that time to team leader rather than a member of the team. I, I kind of put myself in a, in a new role, which was like, okay, I'm not going to be the one working with students. It's never my job to work with students. I would tell myself that and I would tell the employees that it's not my job to work with the students anymore. That's not my job. My job is to make sure that we're getting a lot of business in the door. Make sure that you guys are doing your job really well. Make sure that I'm talking to parents and writing reports and making sure that everybody's happy, but it's not the, the working with students thing. That was an interesting transition. I'm sure. Now was someone, were you also trying to keep in the back of your mind as you're tutoring all the business management things? Yes. Okay. I figured. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you have to, right? Yeah. And that's why it it became really obvious to me, like, why am I sitting here working with the student when there's so much admin that needs to be done? 
it, it just, the efficiency of it no longer made sense. And so when I had that pervasive thought slash emotion, um, for a little while in a row, I realized, okay, I need to be paying someone else to work with the student so I can go do the admin and the getting clients in the door. Cause that's a very big job. Getting clients in the door is not easy. And if I could go back, I would do a lot of things differently. Um, including pricing. I think I was priced too high, but at the time, you know, it was what it was. So getting clients in the door was a big job. Now that we've had an off-air conversation about dialect in different parts of the U.S., let's talk about dialect when you go see the family doctor about ADHD. The family doctor may not detect correctly that their patient should be tested further for ADHD. Kristen emphasizes that it's important for us to inform ourselves if we intend to go to the general practitioner as a first line of investigation for thinking that we should be diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting point, you know, that general practitioners are looking out for so many things. You might not even think to bring something like that up to a GP, right? It's like, it's not the sniffles, it's not a broken leg, you know, but do you go to your, your doctor in your annual checkup and say, I'm having trouble concentrating and getting work done? Like that isn't necessarily something that we think to bring up so it's a rough one yeah that's true one bit of encouraging news i will say uh, the last few times i've been to the doctor for being sick they've asked about anxiety and depression oh yeah like just do you feel depressed do you feel like you want to hurt yourself so hopefully we're trending in a positive direction there yeah for recognition of that it's it's so so prevalent these days you know it's a anxiety invoking world right now so Makes sense. It was fascinating to hear like another version of the high functioning, diagnosed, undiagnosed person with the ADHD. I think uh, Christian was lucky to get diagnosed in college. I wish I'd gotten diagnosed that early instead of in my 30s or whatever it was. You know, a lot of regret and uh, off only, which was, you know, kind of something that she called out. But, you know, really prevalent story. Like, you know, I think the hyperactivity part of it is maybe overemphasized. Like hyperactivity is a coping mechanism for the attention deficit disorder. So if you have a different coping mechanism than hyperactivity, such as hyperfocus on something else, then it can go undiagnosed. Oh man, back to coping mechanisms just reminds me of all the things that Kate Donovan talked about in terms of the coping mechanisms for burnout that we may need to change and tweak and continue to adjust to get into a better place some good parallels yeah really dovetails with um i think the next thing that you were going to point out yeah about Kristen's husband and just showing a great deal of empathy to her so there were some things that she just didn't know she wasn't taught she didn't develop skills in certain areas or couldn't 
and he had the patience to say, okay, well, let me try and show you. Let me try and teach you about this or how to do it better. I'm sure it probably wasn't easy for either side, but I like the example of coming into situations like that from the perspective of it's not that this person is not intelligent. They may just not know. Right. And like not calling it good or bad. Yeah. And maybe it was a coping mechanism to not do the thing. Or oh, yeah. That's a good The behavior point. was a coping mechanism. I think the thing that she specifically called out was not doing the dishes right after dinner or something along those lines. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I recognize that. It's like, a, oh, that's something I don't want to do, so I'll just ignore it. And then hopefully I don't have to do anything about that, which is, I mean, sounds ridiculous, but is exactly, you know, what I think a lot of people with ADHD do. It's like, maybe I don't have to think about that. That also dovetails, I think, with something she said later on, the uh, previously mentioned pills don't teach skills, right? So you can get diagnosed and get medicated, but that doesn't mean that you immediately undo all the avoidance of skill acquisition for specific things that you've done at that point, you know, up until your point, that point in your life, which again, you know, back to Kate Donovan's point is like, you know, this might've been coping mechanism all along just because you undo the, like maybe the brain function of, you know, the attention deficit doesn't mean that you also undo the kind of pattern of avoidance or pattern of not having developed a skill. Well, speaking of developing skills, that leads to an interesting point I was going to make here. I like what she said. She didn't use these words, but what I heard at a from a synthesizing level was I develop expertise by taking something I'm good at and then working on something I'm not good at, but layering it on top of that. So she was good at tutoring people, and then she developed music skills until she was good at that too. I, I'm not going to say anything else, except that's foreshadowing for some of the things you're going to hear about next week. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't give it away. Uh, you know, just before we do cut away, something else I wanted to mention was the um, symptoms versus personality, which I think is... Another aspect of that, hey, you can do away with the attention, you know, treat the attention deficit disorder, and suddenly you figure out, like, some of the things that you were doing weren't, that wasn't your personality, that was a symptom of being neuroatypical, right? So it's not that you're so inconsiderate that you're always late, it's that your, you know, illness or atypicality, like, kept you from doing things that helped you be on time something along those lines also the difficulty of committing to the future that really uh dovetailed you know same type of things like that that isn't necessarily your personality that could be a symptom yeah i like what she said about not letting feedback fester to create resentment but giving it immediately right hey i've thought of feedback i need to give I don't want to end up being mad about it or resentful, so I should just go ahead and give it. And maybe I should let people know, like, that's just my style of giving feedback. Yeah. But but I, I think that's really cool. We could, all, we could all probably improve in the way we deliver and receive feedback anyway. Certainly, and then, certainly. 
And speaking of feedback, I'm sure that when you shift to the mindset of a CEO, you get a lot of feedback from the people who work from you and people who are talking about and thinking about your company. But she reached this point where, okay, I can't really be a player on the team anymore. Someone who's tutoring kids, I need to do other things. Yeah, That's my value to do other things. Again, foreshadowing from for next week. Let's maybe... Uh you know, enforce some uh, discipline and cut away here. Anything else that popped in your mind uh, before we get out of here? No, sir. Hey, listen, everybody, if this episode has been helpful to you, would you consider subscribing to the show? Maybe give us, giving us a positive review, positive rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening. We sure appreciate it. We definitely want to know for being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at nerd journey. And don't forget to smash that like button. Well, farewell listeners and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore signing off. Adios. Adios.